All will know that we are disciples of Jesus Christ by our love for one another. And this led me to ask myself a question, am I recognizable as a Christian in ways other than the fancy vestments I happen to be wearing? Uh, is my life a manifest example of love? Uh, I think we can say historically uh, the church has not always done so well at this and the, the enemies of the church are not without reason when they ask if we really truly follow this teaching of our Lord. Uh, is my love for fellow Christians so manifest that others will point to me and say there is a disciple of the Son of God? Now, I have to say our Lord's commandment also struck me this morning uh, as at once lofty and daunting. It sounds like a task of massive proportions. The commandments are tough enough not to murder, not to steal, etc., but to love my neighbor, to love the persons in my life, uh, whether they're immediately likable to me or not. Uh, am I up for this? Sounds like one more thing that God is asking of me, one more hoop to jump through to be acceptable to God. So we need to think about this a little more. Pope Benedict XVI said that love, however, cannot just be about us giving. You'll notice that Jesus does not say, this is how the world will know that you individually are my disciples, that you love everybody else as individuals, but know that we have love for one another. This means that we manifest love at least as much by the way we are able to receive it as the way we are able to give love. We can say this with confidence because the Son himself, who gives us this commandment, receives his life from the Father. He receives love from the Father. And it's in the context of him receiving glory from the Father in today's gospel that he gives us this commandment. So it is at the moment when he is receiving this glorification from his loving Father that our Lord says, you know, if you want to be a part of this company, if you want to experience the life of the Holy Trinity, this is how to do it. Live in this love. So it's not just an action that we do, but it is a disposition to receive life from the Father. We see then that love is not just a one-way endeavor, something that I do, something that's expected of me, and then God sort of sits apart and says, okay, are you loving everybody or not? The very condition of my existence is God's love, and that's true for all of us. So here's the trick, it seems to me, to allow myself to be loved is to be vulnerable. We know that not every person who claims to have our interests in their heart uh, really loves us. And there are plenty of opportunities in the world to be manipulated by people uh, who claim to be doing it for our good. It's easy enough to confuse genuine love when someone really loves us with manipulation. Uh, there's a, a, a very, very sad scene in the novel The Catcher in the Rye where uh, Holden Caulfield falls asleep on his teacher's couch and he wakes up and the teacher's standing over him, obviously concerned for him, and he's frightened. He can't, he can't take the idea that somebody actually cares about him. It reminds me also of this uh, musical that had a long run off of Broadway called uh, I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. 
And so oftentimes we tell people we love them as a prelude to telling them all the things that they need to fix about themselves, right? So again, to allow myself to be the one who's receiving love and not just doing nice things for other people requires me to be okay being somewhat vulnerable. And for this reason, it's often easier to take charge, to take control, and to make love a kind of personal project. I'm going to go out and do all this stuff. So, as I say, this is a constant temptation we have as Christians to think that I'll love others by constantly finding fault with them and helping them to improve. Christ, by contrast, shows his love, not in this way, but he shows his love by dying. God shows his love for us, St. Paul says, that while we are yet sinners, Christ dies for us. And again, this is why the Son of Man is glorified in today's gospel when Judas goes out. That's how the gospel begins. When Judas goes out to hand over Jesus to the, the authorities to be put to death, that is the moment that he, Christ is glorified. So we must see in this that God is not interested in simply manipulating us. He's not interested in pointing out all of our flaws, first of all. He is, first of all, interested in really loving us, in really showing us that it's okay to trust him. Because even in death, Christ is glorified. Even in death, God's love and life is unconquered. And so we can actually make this act of trust that God is interested in us, that God cares about us. We can learn to be loved. But it starts with this realization that true love looks like the love that the Father and the Son share with one another. One last example of the difficulty in allowing ourselves to be loved, one that's a little more personal because it's about Peter. Peter at first rejects the idea that he must have his feet washed by the Lord, and he's a good model for us. He thinks it's, it's obviously beneath God's dignity to have to do the menial work of a slave. And the question arises, how would Peter uh, have it otherwise? Undoubtedly, he'd want something a little more proactive, perhaps something that might bring him more positive attention, uh, a way to appear righteous and kind and good. Uh, but no, our Lord tells him, no, you really have to submit. If you want life, I have to wash your feet. When the Church in the Acts of the Apostles first organizes practical charity on a larger scale, uh, it's in response to a dispute that breaks up between the Greek-speaking and Hebrew-speaking widows in the community. And it is significant that the Twelve assign others to do the work of serving tables. And I think some of us might be inclined, I certainly have a little of this in me, to see in this a kind of abdication of duty. Shouldn't the Apostles lead by example? Shouldn't they be in there doing the helping, serving tables? But instead, they say, no, it's, we have to devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word. Why is that? How does this fit in this commandment to love one another? Because, again, for us to love truly, we must first know ourselves as loved, as loved by the Father. And so prayer is of critical importance to the charitable message that we have as a church. In prayer, real prayer, that's where I really learn to let myself be lovable, to be loved. 
And I say real prayer because, again, even in prayer, we can make it into something uh, that's another kind of work, another activity by which I reassure myself that I'm a good person, doing something worthwhile. But it really has to be about the relationship that we have with the Father, sharing our life with him and allowing him to share his life with us. And then we can also understand what it means to be ministers of the word. This might sound like a nifty proposition on the part of the Twelve who uh, get to control the conversation all the time because they get to preach. Uh, and they might lose authority or esteem if they're seen uh, doing the menial work again of serving at table. And indeed, in the life of clerics and, and all of us in the faith, there's an ongoing temptation to use the, the bully pulpit for personal control and comfort. And so what is needed is that all of us, starting with religious and clerics, become women and men of prayer, of receptivity. That way, the word that we hand on, the word that we preach, is not our own. It's one we receive from God. It comes as a gift from the Father in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so perhaps I can end by reposing the question with which I began. Are we recognizable as Christians? And if our love for one another depends on our knowledge of the Father's love for us, will we be able to see that one of the greatest acts of love we can do for one another is to be serious about prayer? <laughs>